0: The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're very welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm Michael Glennon. Later on in the show, we will be joined by Ireland and Leinster hooker Ronan Kellher. And delight to say on the line now, we have former Munster out-half Johnny Holland. Johnny, how are you today?
1: Good, thanks. How are you? Oh, not so bad
0: here now. Um, I mean... Where to start? Uh, by all rights, we should be recapping on a good weekend for Connacht and Leinster. It was a reign of biblical proportions in, in the sports ground on Friday night. Um, it was coming all directions, up with, sideways, across, um, and they, they managed to run in seven tries, all from the backs, um, and beat the Oscars 46-18. Then the following night, Ulster, uh, for the first time since 2013, they stunned Leinster at the RDS, a deserved win. Um, and we'll look at those later on, but I guess there's, there's only one place to start. Um, up in the air, literally, we think, it's Wednesday morning now. Um, and just to recap for our listeners, basically, uh, it's to do with the URC last Friday cancelling all of the touring matches to South Africa because of a new worry about um, coronavirus down there. Um, the games were cancelled on Friday, and then it became about getting uh, Munster, zebra. Scarlett and Cardiff uh, back safely Munster um, were in Pretoria they moved on it looked like they could get out quickly enough then there was a positive case there was nine more um, and in the end of the day there was 14 of the 48 um, of the touring party who have to remain on and the others we believe are on their way back uh, to Ireland I mean What's your take on it there? how might have your ear to the ground down there in Munster. Uh, where are we, Johnny?
1: Oh, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, you see people in Ireland are getting, like, there's, there's a particular blame game with COVID and whoever brings the case in and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's a bit rubbish. Like, And with that, you kind of get a lot of cloak and dagger stuff. You don't know who is sick. You're not allowed to know who's sick, GDPR and everything. Like, I've never seen GDPR with, with other things. And in the last couple of years, maybe it's coming in with injuries and and now with sicknesses, look, right, rightfully so because of the judgment that's attached to it, but that's wrong, you know. Of course. Uh, and, and that's where, like, I think in, in particular with this case, like, they've gone to work, do you know what I mean? They're, they're obviously playing a sport and it's a great job to have, but, like, they've gone to work on a plane over to South Africa. And, you know, it, I understand as well from, like, non-sporting people, they kind of think it's, uh, it shouldn't go ahead sometimes and, you know, they're kind of getting special dispensation and stuff like that. But, like, you know, there's obviously an entertainment factor. It's far as... It, the general good you see the kind of um the lift that the GA and the championships give to people as well. So like sport I think is a very good thing for um the general environment like you know so them going to work and having to stay out in South Africa and I think the the level of uncertainty I think is just very unfair. Um, no one's fault obviously from from this side or from their side but I think it's just um it's a very tough situation to be caught in because you know the families are obviously worried about them. I mean I, I don't understand that anyone's in any particular danger like you know so Look, at the end of the day, they'll do their days in South Africa. The rest of the squad are landing today at some stage, I think. So it'll, it'll blow over. But I think the, the Warriors are around the, the European Cup and what they're going to put out against Wasps um, when they'll be back. I think um, they might be back into collective training two days before that game, which is going to be interesting for fellas who are currently training under Ian Costello and coming back from international camp and who's available and then who's going to be well enough and fit enough to get back into that squad two days before Wasps game and I think the, the biggest issue there is cohesion, who's together. You know, I don't doubt that a lot of players will get into a European Cup game and all of a sudden you'll see the next Gavin Coombs or you'll see the guys who just kind of push through and sometimes you actually just don't know who'll do that until, it, until they get onto the pitch but I think then when you do it with maybe six, seven, eight players at, at the same time that's where they can be also showing up very quickly because there's a little bit of a lack of cohesion against a team like Wasps who can put you to the sword as well quite quickly. Like, you know, so there's a there's a lot going on, isn't there?
0: There is. I mean, the, the latest statement from Munster, like they have been quite good. They've been updating on their website um, because there's a lot of interest in it, obviously. Uh, the returning players and staff will follow mandatory self-isolation at their own locations, which it, it's not it's not exactly sure what that means. I mean, I uh, the talk on Monday and Tuesday was that they would try and ask to be put in a hotel, maybe in Kildare and whether they could get out if they had the facilities. But even the logistics of that, if getting equipment up and getting staff up from UL who could be in a different bubble, I mean, that must be a logistical nightmare um, from a coaching point of view, Johnny.
1: Yeah, I think like you don't understand as well, like for, even from a club perspective with amateur rugby, like it's, it's quite difficult to even organise and make sure fellas are understanding the, the guidelines and then that... You know there's a lot of things you don't really think about in terms of logistics like you said now if, if they can get to the likes of carton house that might be already equipped for someone like them you know could bridge that gap a little bit when they say they're all doing their own individual isolations like it that wasn't what the thoughts were at the start of the week so um you know if they all have negative tests and they're in isolation i understand that the any of these variants might be kind of you know, ongoing within the squad and kind of coming up a little bit later. So maybe that's a bit of a a bit of danger if they stay together. So I'm actually unsure whether they're together or not together. But like, I think if they can be together, um, then maybe there's some bit of cohesion can be gained from that. But at the same time, that's not going to be their their European squad either. You know, so like, you're not going to be able to integrate the two squads. Hopefully, like, you know, if that goes ahead and those guys can uh, isolate together and train together if they're all well. Um, And then the internationals tend to Maybe have that little bit extra that they can come back in and and hit the ground running. Then you get a good squad together. But you know, I see all these things saying that like, know oh, Munster will just do it because that's the kind of grit that they have traditionally. But like, that's kind of creating a lot of expectation early on, and what is an already very difficult situation. So like, logist- logistically, it's going to be very difficult. Like the minute you start planning for things with COVID variants and. Uh, close contacts and negative tests and different things it's actually from a public health perspective it's actually very hard to know what to do regardless like you know if you if you hear about someone with a case you're kind of going away close contact what does that mean and then you know they're doing it from a group perspective with um kind of time restrictions and when they have to get back together to, to make a certain fixture I think it's just I'd say the I wouldn't like to be a logistical manager in the middle of all that I know and I know they're tight for time because the URC have to organize reorganise fixtures and
0: they put they pulled the South African Derbies forward. They were matches that should have taken place in February. They'll take place this weekend. But I mean, the, the soundings coming from European rugby would be that they'd be n- not inclined to agree to a postponement. But I mean, would, would Munster have health and safety grounds in terms of physicality, even psychologically, psychologically getting a team together? Because it's not easy, as you just said there, we think. This, these rugby players and they're all well looked after but I mean this is kind of a setback that you don't know how each individual player deals with that because from what I read they were in self-isolation in their own hotel rooms so it's not as if they were grouping together to do things that it, it's difficult as well but I mean in terms of if you did have grounds for a postponement this would seem to be one you know a decent a decent um
1: ah a no-brainer for me like I mean they weren't um they didn't well I, maybe they're keeping things very tight, but it doesn't seem like they've broken their bubble and it doesn't they weren't acting the maggot like it, I'm sure the stories would have would have come out before now. If they were in Limerick and they've got a kind of a lot of infection in the squad, you'd be kind of asking, you know, maybe what were they doing and were they kind of sticking to themselves and there'd be more question marks, I suppose. And then the grounds for postponement nearly comes back on them a small bit more, even though life has to go on as well, but it would come back on them a lot more. But they flew as a squad. I can imagine if you're flying like that, um, A foreign country, there's going to be a kind of you know on high alert anyway about it. So, I think they were you'd have to assume they were being quite careful, like you know. So, I think in those under those guidelines, like you know, you have to postpone the game. It's very unfair at a professional level when there's jobs on the line, like coaches' jobs would be on the line. If you get a kind of split points or you get the points taken off you for games that you know they weren't going to be easy, but like mature Munster would be. You know, they they eye up every league game and think that their squad is good enough to pull them through. But I think the other side of that is the squad. Like you're looking at fellas who went out there getting an opportunity, an extended squad and young fellas getting kind of exposure, proper exposure this time, not just being carried as a twenty sixth and twenty eighth man, the way they do things these days to get a full training panel onto the tournament pitch before they play a match. But like these guys were going out there to get a genuine uh, shot. And I don't know what, what way the, the selection was going to go across the two games, but like, you know, you had Ben Healy and Jack Crowley coming back out there after facing each other in the in the AIL and you know, Sean French gone out there, which is a great leg up for him because I think he's a quality player that could do, th- could do magic things on a pitch if you just give him opportunity. So, like, this is just a, a kind of delayed development for these kind of guys as well. So, yeah, the postponement, I think you need to get these games back for fellas, but also, you know, the fellas that were going there, will they get the other opportunity now that the internationals are back? So I think there's, there's loads going on, but I'd like to see it postponed, definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah, and even we were talking to Craig Casey after the Argentina game and he seems to be the unluckiest one because he, he joined up after so he wasn't yeah. one of the Ireland internationals that was given the, the week off. I think some of them went on holidays or that obviously to recharge but Craig apparently just touched down when, when it all kicked off. So very unfortunate for him.
1: Yeah, he had a very funny uh, Simpsons tweet uh, going in the door and straight back out. So I think <laughs> yeah. uh, you know it's uh, it's unfortunate for fellas like that. I mean, like you come back from international camp and... I'm sure he'd like to have gotten more game time and then you go back to your club to try and impart that kind of enthusiasm and maybe the kind of chip on your shoulder back into that squad and kind of bit of resurgence back with your club and get the confidence back and then you don't get that as well. So like that's, yeah, very, very harsh on on Craig having to go out there and join the isolating party, like, isn't it? I hope he's getting back at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, hopefully now. So as I said, it's Wednesday morning now, and we believe that Munster will land in um, at some stage today. And where to go from there, we don't know yet. But uh, I mean, obviously, the main thing is that everyone comes down healthy, uh, safe, safe and sound. Um we'll just touch on the the URC from last weekend, Johnny Um Connacht. Really good in atrocious conditions. We were I was there for, for RT, obviously. Now the, the, the open style of play that Connacht were able to to play might jump out for other people. But for me, they were very smart. So they were probing and punching and going up the middle to suck defenders in and they were kicking when it should have been. So they mix it up very well. I mean, for a team like Connacht, who, who wouldn't be the biggest, guys would say, when it comes to the, the, the business end, um, the Leinsters and, and the European side, that's one of the most important things that they played smart, Ruby and they adapt to, um, to what their squad uh, you know, is suited to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a number of things there. Like you touched on not the biggest squad and maybe adapting to play a different style. And, Andy friend was talking about how they, how they ran their game and ran into space and fellas on the move and stuff. And I think that's quite evident, but you know, I think someone like Conor Oliver would kind of sum up how they play, not the biggest background in the world, but God, he played a brilliant game. Like he was running into lots of holes. And I remember when Conor came down to Munster from Leinster and I didn't know Conor, I knew he was part of the Irish under 20 squad or there, thereabouts. And, um, I think he was just kind of bursting through the middle from you know the opposition that was going against all these internationals that we're talking about now. And you're kind of looking, going, right, he's running very good lines and maybe not the biggest back row, but he's still doing it. Like, you know, once you get game time, these fellas can flourish. So, like, um, they are playing an unbelievable style. And then you look at, I, I saw a quote, I don't know who said it, but, like, if we can run, we will run the ball. Like, and that's typically how they're playing at the moment in unbelievably poor conditions. Like, most people go to the sports ground and they'll kick the letter off the ball and hopefully get out of there with a couple of points. But I saw... um. A couple of weeks back, when Jack Carty wasn't named in the Irish squad, or maybe it was just before the Irish squad was named, and he was hoping to get in there, he was saying something about um, how their styles and the Irish style is quite similar. And I don't know what he was talking about. Like I couldn't see it. I hadn't seen Ireland yeah. play since yeah. uh, you know the since previously in the summer, which wasn't the same squad and it wasn't really as cohesive. And then. You see how Ireland played against Japan and you're thinking maybe that's the style and then how they played against New Zealand and same style, but just a different tactic of maybe putting in a small bit wider when they're expecting them to go up the middle again like they did against Japan. And that's very much how Connacht actually played at the weekend. So it wasn't until the weekend that I kind of said, you know, Jack Carty was making sense. Of course he was, but he was making sense to me once I saw that because they were using that kind of sweet pass out the back of a couple of forwards, Jack Carty coming onto it and then his decision-making was re- really, really good. I think it was at, um, Shane Bolton and a Gap on their under 22, where there was out the back to Jack, he had a guy off his shoulder, one guy on his outside, and Shane Bolton, just that extra space on the outside, and he went running through. Uh, Dave Heffernan got on it, Mac Hansen got on it. It was just an unbelievable try, you know, so like, it's, um, to score seven tries in the way that they did it, but like, it was, you know, I think you look at the Ulster-Leinster game, and there's a massive conversation about breakdown. I don't think Connick were particularly focused on the breakdown, like, there's that kind of you know, chicken and egg situation. Is it the breakdown that's fast that allows you to run into the space, or is it running into the space that allows the breakdown to be fast? And I was kind of looking at it, going, it wasn't a breakdown thing. It was just they were very clever about how they played the game and where they played it, and yeah, I was very impressive to watch.
0: Yeah, and I mean that only works if everybody is on the same page. So it's credit to um, credit to Andy Friend and the rest of the staff there that it's one thing coming up with a plan, but when you execute it, there's extra credit for that, of course. So it's round six, and Ulster had. You know, they had their four wins from five and they had their bonus points, but there was quite a sense in the camp that everything wasn't going as well as it looked on on paper. And um, unusual, like Dan McFarland is very good to talk to because basically, after the, the Connacht match before the international window, he kind of put it up publicly to his players that he wasn't happy. And that's not the first time he's done that, he did it in the Rainbow Cup up in Belfast when Connacht beat them as well. So he's almost kind of publicly challenges his lads. We're used to a lot of coaches like not not talking about the performance of their squad in public if it's negative at all. You know, they really um stick to their couple of clichés, but he, he this was quite a big gamble I thought by by Dan because because they were going to a place against Leinster who had picked quite a strong team like you know, a couple of injuries aside, that was uh, a frontline Leinster team with tight furlong, Robbie Henshaw, those guys. Um, so, the thing that's, one of the things that stood out to me was Ulster-dominated possession at the very start. And they had a lot of pressure close to the line. And we all know how good Leinster's defence is across the line because they commit as min- the minimum amount of defenders as they can to the rooks. So, they're just there all the time. But... Ulster kept running into the same hole and into the same problems. And I was just wondering, what is Dan McFarlane thinking here now? This is a situation where you need a bit of imagination, a little something extra, but not just pounding and pounding. And I think they gave away two penalties on their own, or Leinster won two penalties from this, and he must have been gone. No, not again, lads. But what they did then was they reassessed, and they did use that bit of imagination, um, and they were full value for their win.
1: Yeah, I think so. Now you look at, like, the the first try wasn't it uh, james human threw a gap it wasn't shouldn't have been a gap I think Jordan Larmour got caught more so in a 13 position but he was he was a winger and the and full back was closing outside him. It was a very controlled situation for Leinster I thought it was a bit of a, a mistake and once James Hume got in behind it was like Greg Jones got um got through on the on the line and yeah they they turned him over once or twice Robbie Henshaw got a big a big turnover and it was typically Leinster like get himself out of a bit of trouble but you know Ulster just kept going at it and and they did get a bit of a reward. They got ahead on the scoreboard um, and probably frustrated. Leinster a small, well, but you know what? Leinster probably frustrated themselves a bit. I know Leo Cullen after the game, he seemed frustrated. I'm sure he liked his front lane players for a game like that against Ulster. But like, I think that's the, that's the problem is that like you, that was a strong enough Ulster side, you know, you've one or two to come into that, but it was quite strong compared to when you look at the Leinster side, very, very strong still. Like you yeah. do have Tike Furlong. Now like, I saw Ty Furlong making a, a, a tackle or a miss tackle on Marty Moore. If that was an Autumn Series international, he wasn't missing that tackle no. and the jukebox would be back, like, you know, but it was, um, so maybe he was small but tired. Robbie Henshaw gave him a massive lift. So they did have a very good squad, but you look at the kind of the forward pack power, I think that was down a small bit with kind of second rows and you get a lot of back rows coming in there. If that's the, the other end of the season, you know, will Ulster get the same amount of opportunities against Leinster or will they get the same chance to kind of live in the game? Because, you know, you see, there was a lot of kind of Leinster um, wastage, I'd say, you know, they had a lot of kind of, they had Ulster turned in, they had them kind of scrambling a small bit, and they just didn't really get away in the same way that they normally do. And then Ulster decided to mess up their ball, get into those breakdowns, seven turnovers, I think, in the game, which is, which is quite a bit. So like Ulster clearly had a plan to try and stop what Leinster normally get. And if you get Leinster with that ball, with kind of overlaps and fellas turned in that much, they generally get away, but... Also, seem to scramble and, and get back, and maybe that was because Dan McFernand had a go off him, or maybe it's um, you know, that can be kind of two sided as well. That like he'll have a go off them to try and get maybe get something out of them, but maybe there's a bit of fear as well that you're going into the RDS, and if you don't get that out of them, then the fear is that you could be absolutely open by two interprovincial teams in, in kind of a couple of games, which will you know dent the confidence massively. And Look, maybe there was a bit of frustration there as well. You see, James Hewen, when he got the intercept at the end. I didn't really particularly like the celebration, but like there was probably something behind it, whether it was from his own situation in the in the internationals where he just didn't get any opportunity at all. I don't know how far away from that he was, or maybe it was just all the chat and Leinster being good and Ulster being in their shadow for quite a while. There was a bit of a reaction, maybe individually from him. I don't think the rest of the players were were too hyped up. They just wanted to get the win and delighted to get it. But his reaction to the crowd, maybe there was a bit of frustration there. Maybe it's going through the team. Maybe they just really feel like they have a point to prove, you know. So I think that came out in in their kind of doggedness going after the breakdown. Um, and when they did kind of get under the pump, a small bit, they reassembled and they scrambled well and got back on the front foot, you know, so um, a lot of hard work done by Ulster. And I think, you know, it's very easy to say it wasn't a full side Leinster, a full string Leinster side. And there's a lot of fellas to come back into that. But that Leinster side beats everyone every week, you know, so um, you have to give them the credit that they're due away in Dublin eight years since they won that fixture probably with similar squads out if you're going to be realistic about it I don't know what the squads were back in, uh, on the day but like they couldn't have been that far away you know so um, in terms of the strength at the time um, so look it's a, it's a it's a massive win for them something that will give them uh, an opportunity to kick on in the season but you can't go back to their of performance have a Leinster performance and I think James Hume actually said that after the game that you know it's not their season it's just one step along in their season as well Exactly, and
0: they've Dwayne Vermeulen to come in as well. Now he's delayed a bit because he <laughs> he was one of the guys to came in from the Babas and um, the cancelled Babas match, and he has COVID, so he's he it won't be this week. It, it'll be next week or some stage when he's back in. Uh, one of the guys who impressed me, and he came up in your column for RTE during the week. It was Nathan Doak. So you mentioned a number of players in relation to A International. So Nathan Doak, what is he nineteen going on, thirty, um coming <laughs> on really, really calm and composed. I mean, it's it's a maturity we don't associate with nineteen year olds and a skill set as well that's kind of Kind of, you know, a lot of potential in it. So a lot of people would be generally getting excited about that. Just tell me a little bit about the, the benefit for him and James Hume and a number of other lads if these A internationals do come back, you know, uh, depending on the circumstances.
1: Yeah, like Nathan Doak, 67 minutes, I think, kicked three points and was a 10 all at the time. I can't remember the score, but it was a vital part of the game. And uh, he was um, 67 minutes replacing John Cooney, who clearly kicked that kick you know, nine times out of 10 nine point 9. nine times out of ten you yeah. know so like um taking john cooney off and having a fellow like that kick a goal that'll tell you you know the kind of belief in him up there at such a young age but he's got that kind of i wouldn't call it a lazy style because it's not lazy that's probably a poor choice of word it's more like a relaxed style maybe like a conor murray getting the breakdowns a couple of years back where it's just all control like you know And that's from a a 19 year old um <laughs> so he nah, he looks the part it's just once we don't kind of blow him up so much now that he's got a bit of a too much expectation and a bit of a fall in, in, involved that as well but that's exactly where the, the internationals can come along and um, and just give these guys another stepping stone above like an interprovincial game or above maybe the higher quality URC games that they can have another crack and see who's going to sink or swim like I think you if Kieran Frawley who had another very good game at the weekend and um, finding a bit of space, including himself and a bit of Nigel as well, yeah. uh, which you'd like. No harm. He's a, no harm absolutely. And he's, he's such a good ball player. I saw, I saw him in the AL a couple of years back and with UCD. He was such, such a good player as well. I think more in the 10 channel. But um, at 12, he has that kind of distribution. James Hume, obviously massively frustrated with all of them, like, you know, the internationals and not getting an opportunity. So, like, there's, there's just so many guys that you want to – and you, you'd see it if you ever look at, like, you know – not so much fan forums, but like responses on Twitter and the kind of chat going around in the public domain of the guys that they want to start. And I always say this, like that, you know, if you're going to start someone, you have to drop the other person. You can't just leave Andy Farrell doing it. So like you have to, you have to justify the other positions when you're picking a guy. And maybe that's not always possible and it's a little bit short-sighted, but that's where the A international has come into effect. And you can see um, what guys are like. It's not going to be, always the best opposition like if you're going to play some of the poorer tier two nations i don't know how much you get out of that other than these guys getting confidence but if you play like you know an english saxon side or something like that that's going to be as strong if not i wouldn't say stronger but it's going to be up there uh, be good competition like so you'd see massively what these guys would get out of it and you know you, if you look back through the old programs i saw one doing the rounds on twitter yesterday and the, the names that are put on some of those irish a team sheets you know it was just such a good stepping stone and i remember going to irish a games and in Musgrave Park, you know, my dad and my brother. And, like, you see the guys who, they weren't, like, you know, oh, give them a game and, and they'll never play with Ireland. It was a case of yeah. they're the next guys coming in, and it really was, like, you know, so I'd, lo- I'd love to see it back. I think there'll be a lot of excitement around it, particularly now that, you know, you've got the a lot of the monster contingent. Uh, I say Munster, obviously, that's a little bit biased, but like there's, there's a lot of young fellas coming through Munster at, at the moment, the same way that there always was a lot of young fellas coming through Leinster. Ulster and Connacht always pop up with a couple. So like, um, I think the, the appetite is certainly there at the moment with, with the lack of sport that we had, the crap that we have coming through at the moment, selfishly from an Irish perspective, it would just be the best time to do it.
0: Yeah. Very good. Johnny, listen, thanks very much for your time. I know you have a lot of homework to do down there. And, uh, <laughs> I do. You're a busy man. So listen, appreciate you joining the RT Rugby Podcast and we'll chat you later.
1: Problem. Thanks for having
0: me on. Hi, Ronan. Welcome to the RT Rugby Podcast. Thanks for joining us here. How, how are you? Are you still buzzing from the Ordination Series or are you calming down a bit from it and, and, and focused
2: on Leinster? Uh, how are you? Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, yeah, no, just, we had to get over pretty quick, back into Lenser now, um, back in last week, so yeah, just getting up to speed with things, um but yeah, firmly focused on Lenser at the moment. And the last time we met, like, it, it actually seems like ages
0: ago, it was just around the start of this, it was one of the, the matches at the start of the Six Nations 2020, so we were in the Aviva talking in person, it, for some reason it seems like five or six years ago, uh, yeah. because... Obviously, the lockdown, the pandemic, and then also for how far you have come in that in that time. Because maybe a year before you made your Leinster debut, then you made your Ireland debut, went on the Lions tour, and the, you've beaten the All Blacks. You've scored a try against the All Blacks. How are you dealing with that? The speed of the trajectory or the speed of your your rise through the ranks?
2: Um, I'm just taking it moment by moment. It's something that um, I haven't had time to stop and reflect on at all. Um, when you map it out like that, it seems very quick and very, uh, I suppose, yeah, I suppose, meteor- meteoric or yeah, whatever the word was there, sorry. Uh, but no, for me, um, it's just been taking it moment by moment, haven't been getting um, too bogged down or too stressed with what's what's ahead, um, and just focusing on the moment.
0: I don't know, if, have you had the chance to read Keith Earls' book because it's obviously made a lot of waves. From the outside, we see the rugby players in a professional environment and we don't ever really get a peek inside that. But it's so human, it's so natural. There's a passage in the book when he talks about the latest generation of players coming through. And when I read about that, I just think of the Leinster production line, which is very, very, um, you know, it's lauded and rightfully so for the talent it produces. You, You would have come through that. You'd have a big background in schools rugby. He was worried about teenagers being teenagers and young men being young men. How do you get that balance right? I mean, you'd, I presume you're obsessed with rugby. I, that's an image I, I might have of you. But what do you do to make sure that y- y- you still have a life as a teenager and now as a young man? Um,
2: it's a tough question, that. Um, I, I suppose, yeah, I suppose I came through St. Michael's um, College where uh, there was a large emphasis on um, like playing sport and playing rugby in school. Um, and yeah, I, I loved it. I uh, really enjoyed my time there. And uh, I suppose we had we had people to look up to in terms of like the Luke McGrath's, Dan Levy's, Noel Reeds, of this world. So for us, when we were coming through school, we were kind of looking at it like this is a genuine career pathway that um, we can follow. Um, and yeah, just to answer your question, I suppose, like for me, it's just about having... Um, a very tight knit, uh, support network. Um, so like my family, um, yeah, my family really like and my friends. Um, so it's just about like, I've definitely been, um, very caught up at rugby previously and in, in the past, stuff like that. And I've let it completely affect my mood and stuff like that. But it's definitely just about making sure your support network is very tight. Um, so like I know I can rely on my family, I can chat to them um, whenever and, uh, and just even if I want to just get away from rugby for a bit I have my friends outside of that and um, so yeah it's I suppose that's kind of the answer really like that's all just about your support network really. Um, yeah.
0: When you do go off with your friends, is there an opportunity? Because I can just imagine that obviously you've grown up and your friends would generally be interested in rugby. But yeah. is there a time when you can switch off and and, and turn it off altogether, or you, or is it always to talk about rugby and this match and that match?
2: No, no. Um, like, yeah, I, uh, a lot of my friends obviously um, came through Michael's as well, and obviously had a big interest in rugby. But they've previously and they've no, sorry, they've now gone on to. Um, other things and sort of started working and uh, just finished up college and stuff like that so their interests aren't um, solely on the rugby pitch anymore and um, they'd be a lot more interested in their work or other other aspects of their lives um, so yeah there's definitely the opportunity to switch off when I'm with them and if I was
0: to ask you what your hobbies are away from rugby and if, it, if you weren't allowed to tell me Netflix and the last answer that yeah. which is what we got about 100 times a week over Zoom asking people what they did but what what do you do you read books do you you watch movies or what what do you do
2: to switch off just picked up golf for my sins like so uh, struggling away at the moment Uh, so yeah just picked it up there during the lockdown and like I suppose I got the bug a bit but still just can't get my swing right can't get my drive right so it's more frustrating than anything else but uh, yeah just really enjoying getting out and playing at the moment. Very good. And did you
0: get a GUI handicap yet? Are you signed up as a member or are you just hacking away? I
2: did, but I'd rather not say.
0: Okay, okay, <laughs> right. Well, you, couldn't, you couldn't embarrass me in, in that terms. <laughs> um, just wondering from the under-20 squads that you were with, the Ireland under-20 squad, you would know some of the monster lads that are presumably on their way back. Now, have you been in touch with any of them, uh, even by text message down there, just to see what they're going through? Uh, I know you were on the team with, with Gavin and yeah. Calvin and uh, Finneen. So are you still in touch with those guys? Are we in touch yeah. with them recently?
2: I actually haven't got a chance to text any of them um, at all recently. Uh, obviously, it's a very unfortunate situation. And first things first, we all hope that they are able to get home and make sure, obviously, first things first, their health's okay. Um, obviously, not the best situation to be in. Obviously, pretty. I pretty traumatising for their families and themselves but uh, I know that uh, Rube players Ireland and Munster are doing everything that they can and trying to get them back home and uh, hopefully yeah, that they can come home safely Very good
0: Were you in the team meeting on Monday? Luke McGrath seemed to suggest that it was quite catchy or it was quite different than normal so Leinster don't have many team meetings after defeat but I presume there's still plenty to pour over um, Were you there? Did you notice anything different about the atmosphere
2: in it? Um everyone's a bit hurt um, at the results. Um, obviously, never nice to lose, especially not to an interprovincial rival and at home. Um, so, it's definitely a fair bit of hurt in the room, but we, we've turned the page pretty quickly. We know we have a big threat on Friday night, and obviously it's a shortened week. So, we had to move on um, as quickly as possible to focus on Connacht. Um, and obviously, we know what they can bring. Obviously, last year, they beat us in the ODS. So we have fully turned the page now, and we're fully focused on that on that game. Are you in?
0: Are you in the mix for that game?
2: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, should be should be a good good game.
0: Very good. What did you think of them against Ospreys? I know sometimes it's easy to think maybe they could do that on a on a fine day, but uh, obviously it was a dreadful weather down there.
2: Yeah, yeah. They had a great game. Um, played really well. Um, looked very sharp in all their starter plays. Um, and yeah, they're. Phase attack look good as well. So that's going to be the challenge for us this week to try and stop that and stop their momentum. Um, they've obviously had a good string of games now and um, we've beaten Ulster before the, before the international window and now beating Ospreys quite convincingly. So yeah, it's going to be a big challenge for us this weekend. And I know then you'll obviously just be focusing on that
0: game, but in the background is the Heineken Champions Cup match against Bath. There's kind of it when when Leicester get to play some of the bigger teams, the Saracens, and they're obviously not in it this year, but the French teams and and um, Exeter or or Leicester even. It, it's human nature that players would be kind of more up for a game against the heavy hitters. And when you look at how bad they're getting on at the moment, I think they're bottom of the table. They've lost eight out of eight. Is it is conversely is it human nature that you know there's slightly less excitement and how, and how do you make sure that that doesn't creep in in terms of complacency?
2: Um, to be honest, like we know how good a side Bath are and like their current uh, predicament in the table isn't a reflection of what they can do and the players that they have and we know that. We're very aware of that. Um, like we played them in 2018 away from home and um, just about won 17-10, I think the score was or something. Um, something, around, something, something like that anyway. Um, but we're, we're well aware at um, the threat that they can cause plus as well, they're obviously um, bottom place in the premiership at the moment or close to it but they'll look at europe as a chance to redefine their season and look to really have a crack there um so we're on we we know exactly what they're going to bring and we need to make sure that we we're, we're fully on our game and 100% focused and ready to go for that challenge i guess that there's
0: no relegation this year means that on another time if if Bath were scraping for survival that you could imagine that they probably would have less focus on on a first round European match so that actually feeds uh, in their favour as well.
2: Yeah yeah that's definitely the case yeah in my opinion anyway.
0: Just finally I'm going to ask you now about um, Ireland and just the, the trajectory of Ireland as well and maybe the comments of Ryan Baird and even Andy Farrell just before the the automation series picked up. Said you might as well dare to dream. I think was the expression he used. How do you again? How do you balance that? I, I suppose when Ireland at the end of the last World Cup, the charge against Ireland was that they didn't evolve over the last couple of years. That they found a winning formula and kept, and probably be too much out of it um, in a certain way. Is that a, is that very key? Are you keenly aware of that in the system that it's a constant evolving is a constant process to to peak at the right time and not just take the last window as a, as a peak.
2: Um, yeah, we know we need to continuously get better and we need to get a lot more consistent as well with our performances. Um, we felt like we took a step in the right direction um, in this November window. Um, but yeah, it's just about continuously getting better now and making sure that we progress our game and like we've had we had a good I suppose end to the last six nations into the summer where we capped a lot of new players and blooded a few more people and and then had a good November window but yeah we we know we're not going to rest on our laurels there we need to make sure we get better
0: very good listen Ronan thanks very much for taking the time out to chat to us here on the RT Rugby Podcast and we wish you all the best for the rest of the season
2: cheers thanks for having me thank
0: you That was Ronan Kelleher. He was speaking before the start of the 2021-22 Heineken Champions Cup, which begins next weekend. It marks the 27th consecutive season the Heineken has been a partner of European rugby and the fifth season of the Heineken and Rugby Players Ireland partnership. That's all for the RTE Rugby podcast this week, folks. Thanks for listening and we'll chat you again next week. The RTE Rugby podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.